Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Ashley, and I'm the senior pastor here at Hope, and we're so glad you've joined us for the most wonderful time. We are loving this series all about time and just this gift that we get from God, this gift of everyday life. And in the first week of our series, we brought out these marble jars that are at the front of the stage here. And basically, each marble represents one week of our life. And in the first jar, we have about our first 18 to 20 years. If you have kids at home, that's what you get with them. Time is precious, and it can be quantified. Uh, then the next jar gets us up to our 40s, the next one to our 60s, next one to our 80s, which is the average life expectancy of those in the United States, and the last one is 100. And the Bible says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what we're doing here, we're saying, this is the time that I get to make an impact in this world. This is the time that I get to get to know Jesus here on this earth before I step into eternity. And, and we look at these marbles not in a defeated way like, wow, life is so short. It is short. But we look at them with an eye to redeem the time, to say, wow, what season am I in right now? And what does God want to do in this season. And today we're going to be talking about the present. Uh, before we get to that, I just want to invite you out next uh, Sunday <clears throat> at 9 and 11 a.m. Uh, my pastor, Richie Neeland, is going to be here. Make sure you're here. Yep. It's a no-skip Sunday. If you can be here, please be here. It's going to be so, so good. Just such a blessing uh, pouring into our church. And then we also, if, if you are someone who's like, oh, I'm so hungry for God, we're also doing something Saturday night at 6 p.m. here in this room. Come on. <clears throat> And we're calling that a regional night because you can invite your friends from other churches. We're doing it on a Saturday um, so that they can go to their church on Sunday. Um, but this will just be a blessing to believers. We just want to worship God together, hear from the Lord, uh, spend time in his presence. And I've been inviting my pastor friends. I'm like, you can come and you can just be a person. You don't have to be a pastor or anything. You can just be. And they're like, oh, that sounds so cool. So I'm excited for what God's going to do there too. And then the following weekend, like Yannick said, our Christmas Spectacular is Friday the 22nd, 6 and 7.30 p.m. That's going to be an hour-long experience. I hope you're inviting your people. I got my sister coming. I'm really pumped about it. Yeah. I I've tried lots of things to get her to come to church, and this is the, this is the year. Come on. I know you have those people, too. Um, and then on Sunday the 24th, we're just going to have 9 and 11 a.m. experiences, no evening experiences for Christmas Eve, just our normal church ones, and that will be different than the Christmas Spectacular. All right, so let's talk about the present. According to a study of 7,500 American employees, 70% of adults in their 20s and 30s are burnt out. So that means by the time... I mean, we're, we're just barely out of the first jar in our 20s and into the second jar in our 30s. We're burnt out, 70% of us. And that's from a life that we create, right? We get to determine how we invest our time. And a lot of us are saying, by the time I get done with the first jar, I am burnt out on this thing called life. And that is so exhausting and sad and that's not how God wants us to live he wants us to thrive Psalm 118:24 says this is the day the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it today is 
Come on. Tomorrow is, yesterday was, every single day. We can wake up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. He's made this day. Man, that means there's good things in it for us. Let us rejoice and be glad in, uh, in it, not let us be burnt out and sad in it, right? This translates in the original language, let us rejoice and be glad. It translates to spin around joyfully and take pleasure in this day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. When was the last time you were able to do that? Maybe today. That's awesome. Maybe you're not so lucky, though, and you haven't been able to just spin around and be glad in it. Uh, What would it take for you to be able to do that, to slow down the pace of your life so that you can enjoy it? Last summer, our staff here, we restructured our work week, and uh, previously, you know, we would turn in our timesheets and uh, congratulate each other. You know, some people would work 70 hours a week on a crazy week, and we'd be like, wow, you're a machine. That's awesome. But we were all tired and burnt out and not enjoying life, and we would work Monday through Sometimes Saturday and then Sunday, and we'd have our little couple hours after church as our Sabbath, and we're like, yeah. And I said, you know what? We're going to be talking about rhythms, and I think we need to put some new rhythms in place. And so, come on. What I propose to our team is that we work every day from 8 to 4.30. What? Have a hard stop at 4.30? Yeah, yeah. Go home to your family at 4.30. They can count on you being home at 4.30. Yeah, but what if we have more work to do? It will be there tomorrow. And we're going to have an hour lunch break every day. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to get all our work done. We like eating at our computers. It's fun. Or sometimes we just don't eat. Fasting for the Lord at work, you know. And here's another thing, guys. We're going to take Fridays off. What? That's right. On Fridays, you're going to do the work of your life, you know, mowing your lawn and your laundry and groceries and bills and all the things. And then Saturdays, you can have Sabbath with your spouse so that Sunday when we come to church, we can do the work of our work, the thing that we've been working on all week. Come on. And I was like, they're going to love this. And we're sitting around our table and they're like, this isn't going to work. We cannot do this. And I had to talk them into it. I was a little surprised. But they went with me because they trust me. And you know what? It's so funny. We laugh now when we look back on those days because we're like, wow, we actually get more work done. Because we fit the work in the time that we give it. And having a hard stop every day, we know that there's a parameter. And so we're like, okay, I'm going to be more effective with the time I have instead of like, you know, I'll go home whenever the work is done. The work is never done. Come on. And so we've just been loving our new rhythms and it works for us. And we're actually more effective working 40 hours a week. And you know, something crazy, kind of a side effect that's happened is that everyone in our office who is full time, uh, either their wife has had a baby or if they're female, they have been pregnant, except for me. So that is just a side effect of more time. What do we do with more time? We enjoy life more. If you want to have more babies, I 10 out of 10 recommend working less. Can recommend that. 
right? We love our calling, but it's just one part of our whole life. And sometimes what we do is we compartmentalize life. We try to put it in jars, right? And we're like, I'm winning at work and I'm losing at home. Or I'm losing at home and or I'm losing at work and I'm winning at home. But if one area is suffering, your whole life is suffering, you're losing. Because we're one person. We take us wherever we go. And your life doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to sacrifice one area for another. It's not a zero-sum game. Now, maybe you don't have the luxury of setting your schedule. I'm not your boss. But maybe you can set boundaries at work. Or maybe you could redeem your after-work hours. You know, the times that default to whatever's in front of you, the stuff you have to do, uh, whatever's on the TV, you know, just instead of being intentional with those moments or uh, the weekends, or with your lunch break, or maybe you're home the bulk of your time. What does that look like? Well, let's look at Romans 12 and verse 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And if you don't, we'll put it up on the screens for you. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. What's the best thing you can do for him? Embracing what he has done. Wait, what about being perfect? No, 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 just embracing what he has done. He was perfect. Uh, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I love this. He says, take your whole life, sleeping, eating, all the normal things that you do that seem really mundane. Your life, that's your life. You're walking around life. You're working life. Take it all. And surrender it to God. Say, God, what would you like me to do with my life, with my sleeping life, with my eating life? God, I give this to you. I trust you with it. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Okay, God, I give you my life, and I embrace what you've done. What have you done? Well, supplied everything that I need through the finished work of Jesus at the cross. So, God, I embrace what you've done for me. It's everything. You know, God, he's the father who said to the prodigal son's older brother, everything I have is yours. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Present tense, right now, it's yours. Every variety of blessing. So how do we invest our time knowing that? Romans 12, it's saying, recognize what God wants from you in each moment and respond to it. Because when you respond to him, he brings the best out of you. And what happens is you get to know God. You get to know what he put within you, you know. He's the creator. He's got the instructions. He's got all the plans and purposes for you. As you get to know him, he reveals who you are in him. Ephesians 1.11 says, it's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. What happens when we spend time with Jesus is we understand what God says about us, because he says those things about Jesus. He says, Jesus is righteous. Uh, Last week we saw that you are holy and blameless without a single fault before God. That's who you are in Jesus. And then out of that, you rest in what he has done. You receive his joy, his peace, his love, all of his fruits. 
And then he starts to help you draw good things out of yourself. Proverbs 25 says, the purposes of a person's heart, they're like deep water. But the one who has understanding brings them out. Your heart is like deep water. And when you've trusted in Jesus, God gave you a brand new heart. He says, I take your heart of stone, I make it a heart of flesh. And because God is good and everything that he does is good, he puts good things in your heart. And you get to know him and he, he helps you bring those good things out, good ideas, good God dreams, good fruit. A good person brings good things up from a good heart. And as you spend time with him, he shows you those plans and those purposes that he has for you. He's hidden within you gifts and talents that are perfect for his call on your life. Not for the person next to you. They're perfect for what he has for you. And what he's called you to do, it's something that you'll like doing. You'll find it enjoyable and pleasant, and you'll want to give praise to God. You know, sometimes we think, oh, if I give God my whole life, he'll just make me do something I don't want to do, like be a missionary or pastor or something. He won't do that. Come on. He shows you who he made you to be and what you'll love. He's like, I created you. You're going to love this thing. Come on. So how do you recognize that? Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. The original language means relax your grip. Everybody put your hands out. Relax your grip. Come on, be still. Relax your grip. Relax your control on life. And know that I am God. I am the great I am. I am who I say I am. Yes, God is the one who was and is and is to come. But right now in the present moment that we live in, he is the I am. Live in the now. Don't live in the future by asking, what if? Or in the past by saying, if only. Don't waste your present. Know the I am. Relax your grip. We find God in the moment that we have right now. The past that was a present that already happened. We're done with that present. The future is a present that hasn't happened yet. All we have is this moment right now. Relax your grip. Be still. Know that I'm God. Know me. My husband's birthday was a few weeks ago. He's 39, getting ready to be 40 next year. Come on. And yeah, I wanted to show you a picture of the card that our daughter made for him. It says, happy birthday. Daddy, I hope you had a good day. I want to spend time with you. I want you to spend time with me tonight. And I think that's so sweet because that's really what God says to us. I want to spend time with you. You know, and when we see a child write this, we're like, oh my gosh, of course I'll spend time with you. How could I not? But God says all over in his word that I love spending time with you. And for some reason, we're like, yeah, God, you say that. But do you really? If we only understood how much he loves to spend time with us, we would respond just like my husband did to that card. I want to spend time with you. God, he loves you. He says it over and over and over. Relax your grip. Live in a place of surrender between control, which is doing everything your way, and resignation, which is fine, I give up, I'm not going to try. Surrender is the place between control and resignation. It's the place of doing life with God. Control, if you're taking notes. Wow, I wrote that really big. We'll just write resignation really small. Next, at 11, I'm going to write, sorry, I have to focus, Re resignation. <laughs> I'm going to write surrender really big. 
It's the beautiful in-between. When you surrender, you can trust what God is doing enough to say, all right, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to trust your word, the things you say in there, the things you say about me, I'm going to trust them. But it's not resignation of everything. It's resignation of the outcome. I'm going to trust you, even though I don't know how it's going to turn out. Because I trust you, God. It's a beautiful tension. You, you know what's right, what he says, what he wants from you, and you respond to it like that verse is saying. Because the result really isn't the point. The present moment with Jesus is. The surrender moment with Jesus is. In the book of Ezekiel, the Spirit of God, he invites the prophet into a river. And it's a river, the Bible says, that flows from the temple of God. And it's so cool. Uh, the river, it's a river of blessing flowing from the temple of God. I love this picture, his spirit flowing from the temple. It's not flowing from the marketplace. It's not flowing from our homes. It's flowing from the temple of God, his church, his house. And it's the same river that the Holy Spirit invites in, us into. It's Ezekiel 47, uh, verse 2. The water was gushing from under the south front of the temple. He walked into the east with a measuring tape and measured off 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was ankle deep. The Spirit's like, okay, come out to this water. Get your ankles wet. Ezekiel's like, okay, kick off my sandals in the water. Cool. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was knee deep. All right, you know, lifting up his tunic or whatever guys wear back then. Knee deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water waist deep. He's like, all right, we're, we're going to get wet. He measured off another 1,500 feet. By now it was a river over my head, water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. And then we're going to go down to verse 9. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish. Great schools of fish because the river is, come on, turning the salt sea into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Fishermen will stand shoulder to shoulder along the shore, casting nets. The sea will teem with all kinds of fish like the fish of the great Mediterranean. This river, this is a picture of what God does with us, what his Holy Spirit does with us. He says, do you trust me? And we're like, yeah, I trust in Jesus. And we get into the water and we get our ankles wet. And he's like, all right, I want to bring you to a deeper place. Will you go with me? And we're like, yeah, I've never been out to that place before. So my life experience tells me it's kind of scary out there, but I trust you. And as we go out deeper into the water, we learn, oh, I can trust you. He proves himself faithful. So, yes, we trust him by faith, but each step we take, he meets us right there. And he's like, come on out to the waist deep. And we're like, okay, yeah, let's go. And then he pulls us out into where it's over our heads. And he won't do it unless we say, okay, yes, I trust you. I surrender to you. Lead me out into the deeper water. And as we go deeper and deeper with him, he reveals more and more of himself to us. And he's so gentle and sweet. He doesn't make us go out there. Uh, my husband and I, we like kayaking. And, you know, it's, it feels safe sometimes to keep your kayak, like, right on the bank where the rocks are. But you're just going to get stuck there. And it's more work, you know. So we're, like, paddling through the rocks, like, yeah, I have control over here. 
But it's not the type of control you want. It's so much more fun to just go out into the deep and let the water carry you. You can stay in the shallows. Like, that's fine. God's not mad at you. But when you're in the shallows, what happens is you see other people floating by and just having the time of their life, just resting in the grace of Jesus. And they're like, this is joyful. This is peaceful. Come on in. The water's fine. And they're getting where they need to go quicker and easier because they're surrendered. They're, <clears throat> they're not fighting the Spirit of God. They're not fighting, um, trying to make things happen on their own. Because we can do some things on our own, but when we trust Him, man, He takes us in a place where there is so much life. There is so much healing. Come on. And He's so good. What He does out in the water, maybe it's not what we would do. He's a creative God. It's better than what we can expect or imagine. Come on, we can't put him in a box. You know, the Holy Spirit, he was there at the beginning when everything was created. He was hovering over the waters, the Bible says. I want him to guide my life, right? The Holy Spirit, he has places he's taking you. He has adventures, the right time, the right place. Things that you could never make happen that he brings you to as you trust in him. And so he'll bring you down this side of the river and you respond to him and you say, yes, let's go. Or he'll bring you this way or you'll go this way because you're like, I think this route looks better. And he'll, he'll set up a little block there, like a little beaver dam or something. And you're like, oh, must be I'm not supposed to go that way. I'm going to try this way instead. That's how, how do you know what he wants you to do? You surrender to the flow. And we're going to look at how he guided Paul and Timothy in Acts 16, verse 6. So Paul and Timothy, they're trying to figure out where God wanted them to go. They knew that they were called to preach the gospel and to bring the good news. They knew the purpose of their life. They didn't know where. They went to Phrygia and then on through the region of Galatia. Their plan was to turn west into Asia province, but the Holy Spirit blocked that route. He done blocked them. We don't know how. We don't know if it was a person, uh, an event, a circumstance, the weather. He blocked them. So they kept going. They weren't discouraged. They weren't like, oh, man, we went the wrong way, you know. Guess God can't use us now. No, no, no. They're like, okay, let's try this other way. We still know our purpose. So they went to Mysia and tried to go north to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go there either. Oh, okay. Let's keep trying. Proceeding on through Mysia, they went down to the seaport Troas. That night, Paul had a dream. A Macedonian stood on the far shore and called across the sea, come over to Macedonia and help us. The dream gave Paul his map. We went to work at once, getting things ready to cross over to Macedonia. All the pieces had come together. We knew now for sure that God had called us to preach the good news to the Europeans. I love that. They tried going one way, didn't work. Tried going another way. Holy Spirit said, no, that's not the way. Then he gave them a dream. And they trusted the Spirit to say, that's the map. That's where we're supposed to go. And they went there and they preached to the Europeans. I love that. It required them, though, to trust that the dream was from God, to surrender, to be like, okay, this is kind of weird. It's a dream, you know, but let's go. I love that faith to say, let's step out into the river. We can't swim out here. We just have to trust. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31, what I want to try to do here is get you to relax. Relax. What? Jesus wants us to relax? Yeah. Verse 34, give your entire attention to what God is doing 
right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Relax. Give your attention to what God is doing right now because what he's doing right now is preparing you for tomorrow. But if you're worried about tomorrow, you're going to miss the thing that you need to prepare you for when you get there. Come on. It's like the Israelites. They trusted God every day for manna from heaven. And on the sixth day, they trusted him for a double portion because he wanted them to rest on the seventh day. So he provided for their needs on day six. They had everything they need for day seven so they didn't have to worry about it. He gives you what you need for tomorrow. It's good to plan for the future. You should do that. But God wants you to do it without worrying without projecting worst-case scenarios, without overthinking it. When the future comes, there will be grace. God always gives you grace so you can rest. So when you start living in the now, what happens is you relax. You're healthy. You're whole. You're relaxed on the inside while you're productive on the outside. It's what athletes call being in the zone. I'm not an athlete, but I hear it's a great place to be. You're in a state of joy. Your emotions, they're like on fire, energized. You're like, this is what I was born to do. Where you're fully alive and you feel like you're touching a place beyond yourself and your mindsets. It's the place where Jesus lived when he walked the earth. It's the place where miracles happen because we relax our grip on control. I was reading about a soccer player in 1998. His name was Zidane, I think. You could correct me after church if I'm wrong. He took home the win for his team in Brazil, and he played amazingly on the field. And people ask him, how did you do so well? And he said, well, I wasn't focused on winning the game. I was focused on enjoying the game, on relaxing, enjoying my purpose. And when we enjoy what we're doing, we're stepping into that flow of grace. There are ways that we can maximize our zone by embracing who God made us to be and how he created us to function. So we can enjoy our now better. And part of that is knowing who did God make me to be? Some of us are morning people. Raise your hand if you're a morning person. So many of us. Some of us are evening people. Any any of those? They're, they're just waking up, yes. And then uh, 65% are in the middle. Are, did you know you could not, you don't have to be a morning or night person? I did not know this. Now, do you, does anybody want to change their answer? I'm a middle person, <laughs> yes. They're like, yes, I'm in the middle. So 14% of us are morning people. This is the sunrise. And what was the other stat? 21% are night owls. Um... This is a moon, and 65% of us are in the middle. What happens is the morning people marry the night owls. This is my husband and I. I'm a morning person. He's a night owl. But when you can identify your rhythms, who, who God made you to be, like there's not something wrong with you if you're not a night owl or if you're not a morning person or if you're an in-betweener. Uh, you're probably thriving more. You're like enjoying more of the day. When you can acknowledge that, you can take that knowledge and you can do more things within those zones. Uh, I read that most people only have three to five hours a day where we're actually productive. Ooh, that's really sobering. And they actually studied this. So they went to the medical field and they saw that you really want to schedule the first appointment of the day because doctors, they're humans too. Um, Anesthesiologists, um, they have a 1% error rate in the morning. 
And in the afternoon, it goes up to 4%, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's four times what it was in the morning. Uh, If you go for a colonoscopy, your chances of having cancer identified get 5% worse each hour. So you start at, you know, you have good chances at 8 a.m. and then 9 a.m. it's like 5% worse and then 10 a.m. 10% worse and you, you go throughout the day, it's like you definitely should not go in the afternoon. That is a bad plan. The point is we're more productive in certain time frames and maybe for you it's at night. But how do we do life if, man, our jobs need us to work eight hours, like our kids need us to function more than three hours? Well, if you can identify your best hours, you can get your best work done in those time frames. The things that only you can do, the things that take more of your mental energy, do those things in your three hours. Do what you're gifted at, what you're passionate about, and what only you can do in this season. And guard that time. Because, you know, you got to tell the people coming in your office to bug you. Listen, I'm only productive for three hours. We can have this conversation later. Those three hours, that's your green zone. For me, that's 8 to 11 a.m. I try really hard to write my messages then because that's what impacts the most people. And then I try to do meetings in the afternoon when I'm in my yellow zone and I'm like not firing as, you know, as good on all cylinders. It's like the nap time after lunch. And then my red zone, that's right before dinner. If you're a workout person, that's a good time to work out because it doesn't take a lot of your mental focus. And, and then somehow you got to rally to find the time with your family to get a new green zone. But if you're a night person, th- that whole thing's probably flipped for you, so that's good. Do your hardest things in your most productive hours. And, and only you know how God made you to be. <clears throat> the good news is that studies show that three hours that are leveraged meaning they're on purpose, where you're doing your most important work, three hours beats 10 unleveraged hours where you just do whatever the day throws at you, where you just check emails, where you just take every appointment that comes in your room, where you're doing anything and everything people throw at you. No, no, no. Three hours leveraged is more productive than 10 hours of just doing whatever. God has made us in in his image, and we're so capable of doing so much more than we think we are. But we've got to let go of what we think we know about ourselves, what we think we know about him in order to live this adventurously expectant life that God has for us in each moment. Romans 8.15, this resurrection life, the life of Jesus that you receive from God, it's not timid, it's not grave tending, it's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? What's next? Like a child, where are we going next? Let's go. There's a difference between a life that's full of expectations of what we can make happen versus expectancy for what God can make happen. There's this picture in the Bible that Jesus gives about a day laborer. And basically there's this guy, he goes out to the marketplace every day to hire some people to work in his field. And he hires some in the morning and he hires some in the afternoon and he hires some in the evening because there's still some waiting for work. And at the end of the day, he pays all of them the same amount. And the laborers, they're mad. They're like, I worked a whole day. They worked one hour. What the heck? And he's like, My grace isn't fair. I give to everyone freely. And so he blesses each one of those day laborers. But what I see from this parable is that they went out each morning not knowing what they were going to do for the day. 
They knew they were going to get to work, but they didn't know what that looked like. And so what happened is the master, he came to the marketplace and he gave them their work for the day. And, and I had a dream about it, actually, just about how day laborers, they depend on God in the present. And they're not like so attached to the work, like, oh, I have to make this happen. They're like, God, what do you have for me? I'll do that. That sounds great. God, what do you have for me? You want me to talk to someone on my drive to school today? You want me to, you know, talk to another parent in the parking lot? Okay. I can have margin for that. You want me to, I don't know, do this thing with my kids? Absolutely, I can do that. And what happens is at the end of the day, the master, he's the one who rewards each person. But it's not for what we think we can do. It's for what he says, here you go. Here's what I have for you. Do you want to do it? And we're like, yes. And maybe we want to do all the things all day. And we're like the people who get to work in the morning. And we're like, yeah, serve you all day, Jesus. But maybe we're the people who he hired at five o'clock. And we're like, well, Jesus, I forgot about you most of the day. But there was that one moment at lunchtime. And he's like, yes, I reward all equally. Yes, I love that you listened to me for that one moment. And as you continue to listen to me, as you continue to trust me, as you continue to walk with me and get to know me, maybe tomorrow you're going to walk with me for more of the day. What if we relaxed our grip on each day and we went in planning, yeah, what we're going to do, but looking to the Holy Spirit to interrupt us, looking to him for assignments. Ephesians 5.11 says, Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Saying, don't waste your time on things you've got to hide in the dark. Sometimes we do that, but it's a waste of time. Verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Our time it's lost until we redeem it, just like we were lost until Jesus redeemed us. Redeem the time. It's our job to redeem it. How do you do that? You take each moment and you use it and say, God, what do you want me to do with this time? Verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Not because wine is bad, but he's giving us a picture. Wine changes you. The Spirit changes you. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for always, for all the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in fear of God. How do you redeem the time? Be filled with the Spirit. How do you know what God wants you to do? Let the Spirit guide you. When we're filled with the Spirit, He will help us do the right thing at the right time. And when we do the wrong thing, He will help redirect us, get us back to the part in the river where we need to go to do what He has for us. He'll cause us to enjoy moments with our family and loved ones in a way that we've never enjoyed them before. So what happens is we talk to the Spirit. We're like, here's what I think I need in my life. And he's like, yeah, you're right, you do need that. Or, nah, you don't actually need that. And then you and the Holy Spirit, you talk to God the Father. 
And when you run out of things to say, the Holy Spirit, he helps you. He prays for you. He prays perfectly in your prayer language. You don't understand what he's saying, but it's good things telling God what you really need. And what happens as a result, God gives us things that we didn't even ask for, that we didn't even know that we needed. Things that bring us joy, we didn't even know would bring us joy. Sometimes we have a lot to say. Sometimes we have nothing to say. We won't hear him, though, if we're always talking and always busy and always burn out. Some of us, we hear a voice. Others see visions, dreams, like in the Bible. This is all in the Bible. Others directly from the Bible. That's one of the main ways he speaks to me, written words. Or through another person or an impression. He's speaking. He's speaking more than we think. What we usually do is we, we write him off. We're like, that couldn't have, been, couldn't have been God. He's speaking. Get to know his voice. Spending time with him each day, that's your moment to get in sync with what he wants for you for the day. That's your moment where you're the day laborer in the marketplace. Like, hey, what do you have for me today? I want to rejoice and be glad in this day. You'll show me how to do that. We get so busy and distracted that it's not until we stop some normal activities that we realize kind of we need to change some things in our lives. Or we realize how to make some changes happen. The Holy Spirit, he's always with us. The best way to be present in our present is to recognize his presence with us. We're not alone. He's cheering us on. He's teaching us. He's guiding us. And that comforts me. I was driving into work Tuesday. I was like, oh, I hate driving in the snow. And I'm like, oh, hi, Holy Spirit. You are here with me. We're going to be fine. And then, you know, that verse, it talked about speaking in spiritual songs. That's what we do at the end of worship each week where we kind of go off script and we're just singing. And maybe you're like, what the heck are we doing? We're just saying, God, what do you have for us? What are you speaking right now in this moment? We're listening to you. We're going to worship you. All this is about you anyway. We want to redeem the time. The way we do that is by being filled with the Holy Spirit, is by knowing Jesus. How do we get out of that cycle of burnout? We actually can't do it ourselves. But Jesus, he can help you do that. We can walk with him, present tense. We can work with him, present tense. We can watch how he does it in every moment. And the more we spend time with him, the more that we want to spend time with him. Maybe you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to spend time with him. Spend time with him. You'll start getting hungry for him. And pretty soon you'll be like, wow, I, I, I don't want to be away from him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Are you tired, worn out? burned out on religion that's doing everything yourself come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how I do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me you'll learn to live freely His sweet words, they're a gentle call. They're an invitation to us to live the life that we were born for. The world will try to bury you with heavy demands. 
But the burdens of Jesus, they're easy to bear. And an easy burden, it's a pleasure to carry. It's living in a sweet spot where your God-given talents, they're aligned with his calling on your life and things start to make sense. He says, come on. Are you weary? Come to me. Come to me. This whole Christian walk, it all starts with a relationship with Jesus by trusting him. This journey out into the water with the Holy Spirit, it starts by trusting in Jesus. And so every week, it's the most important thing that we can do is give people an opportunity to trust in him. And maybe you're here today and this is the first time you're hearing all of this. God's been waiting for you. He's excited for you to come to know him. And the way we trust him, we pray out loud, we believe in our hearts. And so we like to pray out loud. Or would, would you just close your eyes? We're going to bow our heads. We're just going to have a moment with God. If you want to trust in Jesus today, you can just repeat after me. And these aren't really a special prayer. It's just the desire of our heart. That's what God sees. We like to pray out loud together. We say, God, I give you my heart. I trust you. I surrender control. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for guiding me. Thank you for loving me. Show me how to redeem the time. Fill me with your spirit. I want to go where you lead me. And live the life that you created me to live. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.